car parking was has always been sort of conceived of on this one person, one car, one car park basis. And we need to break that down and we need to get get away from that. We need to get people into alternative forms of transport. We need to get them on bikes when it's appropriate, walking, catching the bus, as well as parking when that's the right mix, right? And so we thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Uh, great today to be joined by Toby Litton and Brody Nelson, uh, co-founders at Parkable. Uh, welcome along. How are we doing? Awesome. Thanks hi. for having us. Yeah, hi, Paul. Thanks for having us along. Yeah, look, uh, real, a real privilege. Brody, maybe we can uh, we can start with you. Where do, where do you fit into this big wide world of, of tech in New Zealand? Sure. Yeah, so um, I'm the CTO at Parkable and co-founder. Uh, so started life as a software engineer and, you know, more and more becoming a people manager as I get older and grayer, but obviously love technology, love following emerging technology and, uh, for my sins also do a bit of product management as well. Fantastic. Oh, well, great to, uh, great to have you here. Looking forward to hearing your, uh, thoughts on, on some of the, you know, tech news of the week that we'll dive into as well as some insights on, on Parkable and Toby, how about you? Yeah, hey Paul, I'm Toby. I'm the uh, CEO and other co-founder of Parkable. Um, and for my sins, I think I uh, I do things like sweep the floor and empty the rubbish bins and do the dishes because I, I can't really write code. So. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, well let's let's jump in. Um, this week has been uh, has been I think you know very important week in uh, in tech in New Zealand. Well, in particular in sort of aerospace. Uh, technology especially. We had the first uh, New Zealand Aerospace Summit uh, took place on uh, on Monday in Christchurch. Absolutely fantastic event. I think, you know, for me, getting the opportunity to uh, to get down there, yeah, it was just pretty mind-blowing to have um, you know, a big sold-out event uh, in their uh, in the new, new conference centre there and really... Uh, inspiring. We had uh, Peter Beck as one of the keynoters. There was really a broad selection of people from right across that uh, that that aerospace sector. And yeah, what we heard from from Pete was inspiring as uh, as usual. They've done you know just so well with Rocket Lab, but also with some of their acquisitions. They're they're really you know positioning themselves. Uh, to to play uh, a really important role within the aerospace sector globally, and in fact, um, you know, Pete talked about having the the Rocket Lab, uh, you know, branding and, and logo on um, a reasonably high percentage of um, uh, sort of space launches in one way or another with uh, you know their acquisitions and their technology uh, through those acquisitions now being you know being part of so many space launches. I think it was. It might have been as high as seventy percent um, that they're now involved in, in in one way or or another. Uh, so yeah, that was that was really encouraging. And then just all of the other companies that were uh, that were represented from uh, from Kia uh, Aerospace um, through with with their vehicle, which is going to be able to you know sit around at uh, I think thirty six thousand feet and just uh, fly around and 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 take footage and just do you know something that there's no other craft that's uh, that that's doing that at this this point through to so many others there were there were a bunch uh, that got up and did little five minute uh, spiels we had uh, government ministers there talking about investment and uh, uh, funding. Um, and just some really, really good uh, panel discussions. So yeah, I think it uh, yeah it certainly certainly leaves me feeling pretty pretty encouraged uh, that uh, you know this is a, a an area of the the broader technology sector uh, that New Zealand you know has a great opportunity in. I think what I what I left with was the conclusion that uh, government have to move very very quickly and the sector needs to move very very quickly. Otherwise, we end up losing the position uh, that we're in to uh, to other countries. And uh, there does seem to be a lot of competition. There there were comments that Australia are already sort of starting to to race ahead of us in in some areas. So 
you know that balance of of what the the private sector and the public sector can can achieve uh, together. I think it's uh, you know it's really important, and so yeah, hoping hoping that we get the the right outcomes there, and uh, they can just you know keep keep that pace, which you know, of course um, with the New Zealand Space Agency, uh, you know, launching a few years ago, and and uh, you know, being one of the the few countries in the world to have a space agency, and uh, we beat Australia there by a couple of years. But now I think Australia are kind of very much looking to outdo us, and the Brits are are, are wanting to to do more. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very competitive, a very competitive area. Um, so, but so I think we're to see though, right? Like um, that we've got a, you know, we've got a budding space industry in mm. New Zealand, and I. Few years ago i wouldn't have believed it really and it's awesome to see that the ecosystem is bigger than um peter beck and rocket lab now you know that they've sprouted a whole bunch of other startups around um that sort of uh that initial um lead um and i think it's really cool that or doing doing business in new zealand is often challenging um but in the instance of launching rockets our isolation is actually a unfair advantage in a way um, so that's yeah, I don't know, something we should lean into. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, there was yeah, there was certainly you know some a fair bit of discussion around some of the regulatory aspects and uh, you know some some of that was how uh, I guess New Zealand had you know had been able to move quite quickly and and we, you know we've been quite agile. Uh, I guess the question is is that a reflection of how we were in the past or is that going to be a reflection of of how we continue? Uh, forward, so there, there's a bit of a, a strategy review underway. Uh, we've got legislation, uh, you know, that that covers the um, high altitude and 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 space area. Uh, 2017 legislation, I think that that is now. So, um, and the the recommendation have been that that should be being reviewed at least every three years. So, um, there is a a real need for uh, for us to keep moving quickly to uh you know i guess to hold on to 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 a position um the size of the sector i think what was the number 1.6 billion dollars um highlighted there so yeah there's uh there's good things and uh it's i think it's it's an area that will will just continue to grow for you know for quite a few years to to come in terms of the global market it's really down to how how well can we do here and how do we harness that incredible kiwi ingenuity that uh, we 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 know uh is there you know you're right paul it's not it's not every industry that has such a close interdependency with government and it should be our superpower you know we're a small country we're so close to ministers you can go and grab a coffee from your local coffee shop in the morning and often run into a minister you know and um and and we should be playing that to our strength and and you know i sort of hear once every three years for a strategic review it, it you know that feels pretty good but um you know the presence of our space agency early should be our channel into government these guys should be responding so quickly because the technology and the industry is moving so quickly it is very easy for any country that comes along later to um by chance get a jump on us you know and that that we shouldn't allow that to happen and um you know i love i love the story of our space industry and our aerospace industry generally you know we've had a number of people kind of budding sort of entrepreneurs and businesses in the space but it's not until the visionary of, of kind of pete and, and rocket lab He's really lifted it up a level as a country, um, and now we're seeing not just in aerospace, but all of these spin-outs and industries getting created, and if everything from ag tech to more space tech to you know you name it, um, software, and it, it's so awesome to see. And I think you know our government can can line up next to Peter and and help drive that industry forward, and we'll see more and more and more of that. Yeah, well, all the all the best to um, you know to the the organising uh, committee, and you know hopefully this will will now become a you know a regular event on the calendar, uh, you know for for New Zealand, and you know hopefully we see that that sector growth. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was great of Mark Rocket and the and the team to uh, to have me down there, and uh, you know just to see the calibre of contributors that they'd managed to to gather uh, together. And um, yeah, just uh, great opportunities ahead, I think. And and also there was the the chance on their sort of show floor to to actually see, um, you know, the the technology from the likes of Dawn Aerospace with with their space plane, to see uh, one of you know Whisk's, um, you know, I guess uh, you know demo craft, their autonomous uh, air taxi. 
as well. So yeah, just lots of lots of good good stuff to uh, good stuff to see, and uh, you know, great to catch up with with a bunch of people and and uh, and meet some new ones. So um, yeah, onward and upward is uh, I guess what we're uh, what we're looking for uh, in that part as as we do you know right across the broader. Um, technology sector. Um, now, one of the other things that that's uh, that that's come up, and uh, you know, I guess we've we've seen this trend for a while, but it's it's something that's going to um, you know impact uh, New Zealand is uh, what's happening in the social media space. Now, uh, the spinoff uh, published uh, published a piece in the last few days around how uh, how teens have, have basically sort of you know, dumped Facebook and uh, have have you know very very much been attracted to uh, to TikTok and you know this is is somewhat uh, understandable. TikTok's a very addictive uh, platform, but yeah, it, uh, it probably makes things uh, more you know more complex in in many ways, and it also shows us just you know how. Uh, uh, it's very, very hard with with these sorts of things that are, you know, very much down to to current trends uh, to to hold on to a lead. And you know, Facebook looked as though they had this incredibly dominant position. And in the early days of Facebook, having having seen what had happened with MySpace, I was just figuring something else would come along and uh, you know and knock them off pretty quickly. Um, but it but it didn't. And uh, so, you know, I sort of, you know, I did, I did ponder. I remember discussing it through a, you know, number of of media interviews around, you know, whether Facebook were going to get knocked off their perch. But it very much looks like that. Uh, that's exactly what uh, what TikTok have done. Um, I guess the complicating factor here, whether it's for advertisers or or consumers, is you know, we just see a lot of, uh, you know, privacy. And um, cybersecurity concerns around uh, TikTok. Um, Brody, what are your what are your thoughts on uh, on this? Yeah, well, that that's definitely been my experience, Paul. Um, I'm involved with another business called Sticky Beak, which is a market research uh, company, and um, we get our respondents through social media. Um, and when we're targeting that youth demographic, it's in the last couple of years, it's become increasingly more expensive to recruit those respondents on Facebook. Um, so it's getting um, more difficult and more expensive and on, on TikTok, the reverse. So when we're going after those, um, that demographic, TikTok is, um, is the channel that we use to, uh, to recruit those, those folk. So, um, yeah, definitely can back up the, uh, spinoffs article with my experience, uh, in terms of the data security, uh, concerns around TikTok. I think those are valid. Um, I read one researcher that said that the, I don't know if this is still true, but for a while there that every keystroke, um, the clipboard was being copied, um, which from where I'm sitting, there's no valid reason to do that uh, from the application. So that does seem fairly nefarious. Um, and yeah, a few question marks over the security. Yeah, what are your what are your thoughts, uh, Toby, on these, this sort of change in trends? Uh, to me, it feels like, um, you know, like you have sort of been wondering what's going to happen after Facebook and we, we've seen, you know, um, various social media wars going on and right down to sort of acquisition of one platform by another person and all this kind of stuff. Um, this to me feels like the latest chapter in the 20-year journey of social media so far and, um, and it, you know, I sort of, in my seat, I wear, I wear a couple of hats, right? One is the commercial, what's the commercial reality that this now creates? And, and to Brody's point, it's like, hey, we've got to be multi-channel if we want to fight, if we want to hit this audience. And so there's kind of all those business considerations. But from a from a from um, just a purely social interest perspective, it's like far out. I've got, I've got teenage kids, right? So um, I need to keep track of where they hang out online and what they're doing as well. And so, so um, it's going to be interesting to... Um, see how long TikTok lasts, um, see how relevant it remains, you know, if, is it generational? Is that what we're starting to see emerge across, you know, 20 years of social media or more? Um, and therefore, will my kids stay, get on TikTok and stay on TikTok and then something else will come and displace them? To me, that's kind of the the social experiment that we're all going through at the moment. Um, and yeah, so so I'm, um, I mean, I've uh, I've got to be a bit careful. Facebook are, are a great um, customer and partner of Parkable. Um, so um, so I, I hope that um, they continue to do well. But in the next breath, I sort of um, I'm curious, and it's it's curious as you, as you said, Paul, to see Facebook be knocked off the perch after after quite a long period, right? I, I would yeah, say that. Look, 
oh, sorry, I, I was just going to say, um, I would say they have responded um, by changing some of their UI UX on Instagram uh, and, and Facebook to be uh, more video-based content. And I, I think there's more plans in Instagram to, um, you know, move even further towards a kind of a TikTok kind of algorithm for displaying uh, short form video. So I think there is a response in the wings. It's just how effective it will be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're right there, Brody. And, um, these companies just have to be so sort of agile and uh, you know willing to uh, willing to adjust and morph and and change. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes it's just it's a reflection of commercial realities and and what trends are. Um, I do remember seeing you know a cartoon or or a meme going back quite a few years, um, sort of joking about Facebook being a a CIA experiment, and um, you know I think we all sort of laughed at it at the at the time, I thought, yeah, they, they, they know a, a lot about us. Interestingly, there hasn't, you know, I mean, yeah, they, we haven't seen things like that in, in joking terms about TikTok. I think there's actually been, you know, probably people a bit more, bit more sort of seriously, you know, think it, thinking it through. Those that are maybe abstracted a little bit from a from an actual TikTok addiction. And there is certainly that concern about, hey, what do governments do uh, with accessing this sort of data? And, yeah, there's the, those questions around, well, you know, is the American government maybe a little bit more transparent than the Chinese government on these things and, and what, you know, what would happen in, in sort of worst-case scenarios? But, of course, in you know, some ways that doesn't, doesn't really matter to a you know, typical teenage end user who as an individual it's very hard to see well how much difference does it make for me to be on there as to not be on there it's it's, it's a little bit like trying to convince somebody whether they should vote or or not if they're kind of you know super busy on on voting day or something is like how much difference does one person make but then you know as a collective if our whole nation is on a platform and if the the worst case scenario that you know some researchers sort of suggest in terms of you know where that data might be uh, might be getting used sort of lines up then um yeah could be and could be less than ideal so but, two uh, things on that right like one is yeah. one is the fundamental belief system of the governments and and um the governments where these businesses are domiciled and in in china you've got a belief system where it's like i can make your life better by owning and having direct access to your private data holding aside any nefarious purposes on either side of the fence you know you can argue argue that either way whereas in in the us there's this fundamental right to personal privacy and or the west i should say not just the us and europe and the rest and so you've got this belief system that's different where these businesses live and that means the regulations that they're operating under are likely to change relative to those belief systems and so for for us we've got to figure that out and my worry with with you know yes it's the teenage demographic or the, the you know younger demographic that's moving to TikTok, and that's where we're seeing the shift take place is they may or may or may not be i don't pretend to be a behavioral expert but they may not may not be more susceptible to influences right um uh, false messaging you know um fake news kind of a sport and and is the targeting data that's being harvested by these businesses can that have a negative consequence that is more profound with the audience that's on TikTok than not on TikTok? and i mean facebook we've seen the outcome of of that kind of stuff and so I'm curious about that, right? We're, we're dealing with our possibly most um, influenceable demographic at the moment. So that's going to be interesting. But again, a bit of a social experiment, right? Yeah, yeah, look, and and there's been a, a lot of criticism, you know, broadly across media um, in relation to Meta, you know, Facebook, mm. Instagram. And look, some of that I wholeheartedly agree with. I, I don't agree with with all of it uh you know i think i think at, at, at times maybe we're you know we're expecting a, a little bit uh much maybe in terms of what their ai can do and and uh and and other things but yeah doesn't seem as though the um the media is is maybe um looking at tiktok under quite the same sort of you know microscopic detail that uh, they've been they've been looking at uh, at Meta, so we will see how these uh, how these things play out. But uh, it, it's certainly 
uh, it's certainly changing, and it's changing, uh, you know, very much certainly for that younger audience uh, in the direction of uh, of TikTok. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's just just the way it is for now. Um, probably the one thing that could have put a stop to that was what we saw happening um, when uh, when Trump was president, and it looked as though the US were going to pull the rug out uh, from under TikTok, and uh, you know, force quite a big change there. Uh, that appeared to get quite close with the with the U.S. deal, and that has happened to a degree in in terms of um, things happening and where data is supposed to be stored and and so on. But yeah, I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's the end of it from a, a privacy discussion. Now onto onto other things iPhone market share in the U.S. We're seeing reports now that uh, Apple have for the first time reached over 50% of the total uh, US uh, phone sales. Now, I think that, you know, there's, there's, this is not necessarily uncommon. You know, there are other markets where, where iPhone seems to, uh, seems to dominate, but Android has had just, you know, such a big market share. Uh, you know, New Zealand's been a country where, where Android has certainly uh, you know, it tended to uh, to lead the way. It does tend to tie into, um, you know, I guess the economy of a of a country and so on. How that's how that's played out, but it does seem as though there's just been this sort of slow tide moving more and more uh, in the Apple direction. Um, Brody, what uh, what do you use? Are you a, an iPhone or an Android person, or have, or have you uh, you know been in both camps to a degree over time? Uh, I'm firmly in iOS, uh, in the iOS camp. Um, I have dabbled with Android over the years, but um, early in my career, I was a uh, iOS developer, so um, pretty, yeah, pretty loyal to the Apple ecosystem. I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, it's it's that closed ecosystem versus an open ecosystem playing out. Um, and I think in recent years, unfortunately, Android's become a little bit fragmented in the in the open ecosystem with large players pulling. Um, in different directions, whereas in, in the closed ecosystem of Apple, it's a bit more lined up and strategic. And as a user, you're getting a lot of benefit from the interplay between the different devices. Um, and so, yeah, that, I think that's what we're seeing, that, that strategy um, bearing bearing out. And uh, Toby, what's uh, what's your experience? You're an iPhone no. user, aren't you? Yeah, trapped in the um, trapped in the Apple universe. Can't get out. <laughs> um, I love it. I, I, like Brady, I've been been an Apple user since I think the or iPhone user since iPhone one. I'm not right in the Apple universe, but um, but yeah, you know, for me, it, it like pretty basic, right? Con- consumer preference. It, it's um, you get a really. I, I love the consistent experience of Apple, um, and and that consistency all the way through from the software and the hardware kind of perspective and um and so i imagine that apple can do that because of this closed ecosystem um stuff that brady was talking about you know they can they can line up the experience make it a seamless journey to jump between devices to jump you know upgrade devices it's it's a very consistent kind of app experience on the devices um and so that makes you know navigating them easy and makes change and upgrade easy and it also makes spending money with them easy <laughs> whereas you know android my experience with android very limited but is is it's inconsistent um and sometimes it's great sometimes it's not you know um so yeah that, that's it's kind of not surprised and uh, and i wonder how android's going to respond is kind of going to be interesting yeah, look, I um, you know, I I tend to, you know, just I guess you know, part of what I do, I'm always sort of looking at everything that's out there, and and so I tend to tend to use a uh, a mix. Um, at the moment, my primary handset is a is the Oppo uh, Find X5, so that's a that's an Android handset. But there's always an iPhone in my pocket at the same time, right? I'm always, you know, trying both technologies, and it's and it's interesting just. In some ways, how close that they are now in terms of you know moving from one device to another on on Android is you know as a pretty easy experience, uh, and and largely without having to have a you know a special subscription like you tend to with with iCloud for for storage. There is because you come down to those much lower price points. There are price points in which you can buy Android handsets that are, yeah, a, a reasonably average, below average experience, I suppose. 
and and maybe maybe that's what it's like on the you know if you're on a really old iPhone, but uh, there's just that consistency on the iOS side with operating system updates and and uh, uh, security updates that I think is really uh, certainly from a from a business perspective is very very nice for those that are sort of maintaining and running these things. But I also think from uh, you know a user perspective, just you've got that consistency that you know your iPhone's going to be the same as you know anybody else's iPhone. Uh, you know, from that software perspective for, you know, usually for at least five years um, because everyone gets those those updates. Unless you are, I guess, tempted to buy a model when you buy your iPhone that isn't the latest model. Um, and Apple, of course, is selling a number of years back. And, you know, similar challenges are, are, are there on the Android front and, and probably actually a lot larger um, so, you know, if today you buy an iPhone 11, we're on the cusp of the iPhone 14 uh, coming out, then, you know, that may get, let's say it only gets three years worth of updates, right? Um, but when I say only, um, you wouldn't be able to buy an Android handset today that's, you know, three years old and will get probably get three years of consistent updates. Uh, so... Yeah, there's there's quite a lot there. Uh, I think Apple are taking advantage of it to uh, to grow share uh, market share with uh, with Mac with their Mac OS uh, you know products, uh, and and of course on the iPad side where they've just absolutely dominated from a, from a tablet perspective. Um, you know that that said, there's you know there are some some quite good uh, Android tablets on the market depending on uh, you know on your specific needs. So. Um, play with the um, the new Samsung foldable the other day. A friend of mine just got one, the big bigger version, and um, yep. I was blown away. It's an amazing handset, yeah, a totally amazing handset. You know, um, yeah, it's kind of that real crossover between a handset and a tablet, and when it's folded out, and it's um, yeah, much better experience than I expected. Um, enough to potentially convert me over to Android. I love what I saw so much, and that's, I don't know. That's, we're talking about the hardware more so, but um, but yeah, operating on Android, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, yeah, you know, we probably have seen, you know, it's certainly arguable that we've seen more innovation on the hardware side from the Android uh, vendors, you know, Samsung, Huawei over the years. Although you know they're obviously you know challenged uh, challenged at the at, at the moment, um, Oppo and 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 others. And yeah, that's I guess part of the reflection of there there being a lot of competition in that space and 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 a number of vendors. Whereas Apple can maybe sit back a, a little bit and wait for some of these things to you know, get a little bit more mature, or until they're they're really willing to bet and go all in on uh, on some of the some of the technologies. But yeah, I think yeah, these days the the hard the top hardware on both sides is uh, is very very good and uh, and consistent. Um, yeah, so interesting times ahead there. I, I'm certainly curious to see how it'll play out uh, as far as the the New Zealand market's concerned, because yeah, we do we do sit and yeah, we're quite quite different to Australia, where iPhone seems to have been a lot more dominant than the New Zealand market, and I, I think that's just a stronger economy generally for Australia. Uh, so yeah, as to whether whether New Zealand will will, will ultimately follow, but I, I think we probably are. Um, slowly is kind of what I'm what I'm seeing anyway. Now, a couple of other topics before we sort of d- delve into uh, to, to Parkable. I uh, I see a fair bit of uh, attention for uh, Rings of Power, uh, which uh, Amazon uh, have have now launched. So it's great to see New Zealand, uh, you know, there on the global stage again. Um, a, you know, a little bit disappointing that uh, you know it's only the the first uh, season uh, film filmed here in New Zealand, but uh, you know, still I think that the pride rises up for uh, us Kiwis uh, with that. Yes, yeah, exciting to see it come out, and um, uh, it was awesome having the two thousand odd people working on on the show in New Zealand for three three or more years, and. Uh, Having watched the first couple of episodes, I thoroughly enjoyed them and didn't necessarily agree with some of the critical um, response that we've been seeing. Yeah, look, it's pretty pretty interesting to yeah see that there's there's been a bit of mud sort of thrown at the production 
I saw Elon uh, Elon uh, complaining about the I don't know the the representations of the male uh, figures in there, and uh, yeah, there's been a few bits and pieces. But you know, realistically, this is you know, from as far as we're aware, the you know the biggest budget that's been thrown into a TV series uh, in history, and for that first season, it's been spent uh, in New Zealand. So uh, very pleasing, and so for it to break records for Amazon Prime viewing, uh, I guess, is to be expected. And uh, yeah, I I hope the the whole season overall works out uh, quite well and that we get a little bit of a a sort of spin-off in terms of uh, tourism back to New Zealand because we probably probably need a little bit of that now. Absolutely. I I do think that um, even in season two, my understanding is that all of the, the footage has been taken for, you know, the scenery and so forth. So I think it, even though it's not filmed here, um, a, lot, a lot of the setting will still be largely looking like New Zealand. So that's a good thing. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And um, Toby, uh, your thoughts on this? Are you uh, are you going to be having a having a watch? Uh, I soon? will definitely watch it. I um, yeah, um, I love any escape from reality I can find. I haven't found the time to watch it yet. But um, I, I've got to say, before I do watch it, I've been a little bit terrified about a whole like Tolkien cinematic universe and worried it might. I, I was a bit of a Lord of the Rings fan, and you know, then enjoyed the Hobbit, and and now I'm like, oh man, I hope they don't cheapen it to the point where there's you know. I hope, I hope the essence of it isn't lost with this whole cinematic universe thing. And I was kind of happy to hear in the in the press release that came out about this earlier this week that they're, they're going to put it over 50, maximum 50 hours and, and five seasons. And I sort of thought, well, that's all right. It's not this never-ending universe. And then if then I immediately sort of thought back to NZ Inc. And I was like, oh, well, actually, if, the, if they've already filmed all of that, maybe we could do with a cinematic universe and they can just pick up the next round and back down here. That'd be awesome. So, but yeah, excited about watching it. And can't get enough of dragons, I suppose. It goes for everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I opened up the uh, just the the Amazon, you know, the standard Amazon app, not Amazon Prime uh, video app, and it was basically a full screen. You know, ad comes up if you open their app, or or it did. Uh, yeah, it did the other day. And then once you got past that, it was you were sort of had to scroll a long way to get past uh, anything to do with it. So they're uh, they're definitely wanting to get some some real mileage out of this so i you know i certainly hope it work, works out well for them and then the other uh, the other topic that caught my attention was that there's a, an oxford physics quantum uh, physicist who's been uh, i guess tearing into the quantum computing uh, industry uh, recently and saying that uh that quantum computing is uh is you know effectively sort of that it's it's getting over overhyped and uh there's much more hype than substance which you know i thought was was interesting i mean we we do you know have all sorts of trends that you know tend to come through in the technology world where where something is is on the cusp of happening and uh you know i guess you know we we've seen that with with aspects of of blockchain been another one where there's a lot of money's gone into it in one way or another um and quantum computing certainly has attracted uh you know massive investments but we're not quite there yet i mean it's very hard to know unless you're you know deeply involved in in you know in a particular world uh like you know quantum computing and and are, are a you know uh expert researcher to really understand exactly you know where we're at how close are we you know i guess you know probably similar to sort of autonomous uh driving you know technology and and other aspects of um um you know advanced te- technologies um any any thoughts on uh on this is this just just the norm there's always yeah. going to be the the naysayers and I, maybe we're I, not far off yeah i think so i think it's fairly typical of a deep tech r d category you know, there's a lot of hype initially, and then um, things are harder and take longer than anticipated. Uh, and then we're sort of into the trough of disillusionment. Um, and uh, eventually, uh, if the if the projects stay focused and the spend is still there, um, we'll start to see some business applications come through. But for me, quantum computing is still a long, a long way away. Um, and it's right at the start of that sort of hype cycle. 
Yeah, and it's always these things from like from my perspective are always, they're always a rising tide, not like just suddenly stepping through a door and you're in the light, right? Like it's it's a rising tide. There's so much R and D going in, and, and we're seeing things like as a result of research in quantum computing, you're seeing semiconductor chip sizes decrease over time. And what does that mean? It means a smaller handset, but you don't recognize it as wow, here's quantum computing. You've just got you know to our earlier topic, you've just got a slightly better Android phone or a slightly better Apple phone, and and but the the R and D is is incremental. It's not this eureka. Here's suddenly a world changing thing, and the outcome might be there in twenty or thirty years that it is totally world changing, and we're doing amazing things. But it won't be stepping into that overnight. And I love I love that it's it's always you know I, I'm a huge believer in science, but I also laugh that often it's the scientists that are the strongest naysayers in this trough of disillusionment. To, to um, take Brady's expression, um, you know, in that in that sort of Gartner hype cycle and. And they're the ones who, going back through the ages, right, Copernicus and, and so forth and so on, and um, it's it's always those ones that are like, no, this, this science is rubbish and it's a waste of time. And, um, you know, and, and it's like, uh, yeah, I, it's never a binary outcome. It's never a binary outcome where it's off or on. It's always a, an evolution over time. And, and sometimes the evolution takes a bit longer. It's always harder. <laughs> um and yeah, but it, it's I, I'm loving that the money's going into R and D. I'm loving that the investment's going into quantum computing because it means we get way more cool gadgets to play with and way more stuff at the consumer end that I love tinkering with as a user, right? So. Yep, yep. No, I think there is uh, more more than more than likely that uh, you know there will there will be uh, there will be a point where. Uh, this is it's just stuff we're taking for for granted, but uh, yeah, there's that there's that journey to get there. So um, yeah, we just and have to have it, to keep going. It can kind of sneak up on you as well. Like you know, I think AI was definitely in that or is in mm. that category of overhype, taking longer. But I, I don't know if you guys have caught up with some of the sort of almost general intelligence text to image algorithms out there, like Dali Two and Mid Journey and all these kind of algorithms. They're just mind blowing to me. And, and, and yes, there's no real application to those yet, uh, but that seems like a huge step forward in that space. And it's so cool to see it. And it's for me, that's just snuck up overnight. And all of a sudden, you can type a very elaborate message and get a photorealistic image rendered in a few seconds. So um, be excited to see where that goes. No, you, I mean you're 100 percent right, Brody. And um, you know, when when I'm sort of doing public speaking, sort of focusing on futurist type topics and and trying to encourage businesses to be more forward forward looking. One of the you know comparisons I I I give to you know how we can be with technology um, because we don't know necessarily notice those changes you know from one day to the next. We can miss out on these really big changes that happen you know happen over time because they yeah they just sort of sneak up and as you say then you you turn around one day and it's like oh. Well, you know, there's a a really big big change, but it's actually been coming for a long time, or or it's been uh, there to a degree. But then you uh, you notice the, the the particular you know aspects of that, and of course for for those organisations that aren't um, you know aren't keeping a watch, then um, they can easily easily lose their lunch. And I guess that brings us to uh, to Parkable and the Parkable story. Where, Don't uh, lose where your you lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you you're in a in an area that you know is disruptive, right? And you know we're we're in a we're in a world where where new technology can completely disrupt old players, and there are there are so many so many examples uh, from from over the years where where old players have sort of sat on their hands and and um, thought that they'll be just fine. Yeah, so let's delve into uh, into Parkable now. After um, I think Joe Allen sent an email across mentioning what the parking options were around our around our office, um, there was a, a good little prod from you, Toby, that uh, we should be sing- sending guests uh, details of parkable um, parking options around our office. So I fired up the app, and I had thought I'd I'd used it in the past, but I couldn't see a see a sign in. So I created a new account, and sure enough, I was able to see. Part of our parking building was allocated to uh, to Parkable. One of the buildings virtually next door with some parking space uh, was accessible by by Parkable. Um, and I looked across the road on my own street, uh, and uh, there was a private resident who was uh, was offering their their driveway or the garage or whatever it was for parking. So um, 
you guys are, are pretty much everywhere, uh, certainly, uh, you know, locally for, for parking. But um, maybe you can just sort of, you know, roll back and, and give us a little bit of a, an overview. And we're probably not going to have time today to hear the full um, parkable story, but it'd be great to hear a little bit about where, where you're at. And, um, you know, we might have to have to revisit uh, at some stage in the future to go a bit deeper. Yeah, easy. I can do the do the thirty second history. So, um, we started life uh, about six and a half years ago with Parkable at an All Blacks match at Eden Park here in Auckland, where we're sitting now, and we launched on this premise of people who had a spare parking space could list it on an app, and other people could find it and park their car in it. And and it was a wonderful, wonderful, fun business. We launched an All Blacks match. The All Blacks won. We had all our friends and family out helping us to get people to download the app and, you know, signing up driveways and doing all this kind of stuff. And it was great fun. But uh, about a year into that journey, we we realized that um, we weren't quite having the impact we wanted to have. So we we think that parking is broken. We think it's broken for, um, for a handful of reasons, but principally it's bad experience for drivers. It's bad for people in the car. And as we think about an autonomous vehicle future, we're thinking about how can we drive this experience layer up we think it's bad for business because people are building and constructing more car parks than they need. They're operationally complex. There's a lot of money invested in it. And it's bad for the environment because people are circling the block looking for car parks. Their um, car, legacy car parking structures aren't conceiving of future energy vehicles, so electric vehicles and things like that. So the infrastructure is not there. And it's bad for the environment because car parking was has always been sort of conceived of on this one person, one car, one car park basis. And we need to break that down and we need to get get away from that. We need to get people into alternative forms of transport. We need to get them on bikes when it's appropriate, walking, catching the bus, as well as parking when that's the right mix, right? And so we thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And so we've built, um, or Brody and his team have built, uh, um, an amazing software layer that takes a lot of those problem statements and rolls them into a solution for businesses to operate their parking assets and their mobility assets on a single software platform. So that's kind of what we do now. What you see in Auckland, what you described before about having those pins on a map, we really only do that in New Zealand by virtue of that history I talked about. But elsewhere in the world now, we we sell it. We sell software as software as a service to some of the biggest employers in the world to help their employees come and go from the office every day or in a hybrid work environment when they're coming to the office now if they should drive or not. And the largest property owners in the world manage their parking estates so that they don't need to build as many. They can do things like put an EV charges and manage EV fleet and um, generally provide a better tenant experience around it. So that's kind of what we're doing now. And um, yeah, we're we're so um, so stoked, I suppose, to put it bluntly, to be growing that business from here in New Zealand, and to be um, you know we feel like we're we're on that disruption journey. It, it's definitely a journey. It's not a open the door thing like we talked about before. But we're on that journey of rethinking um, workplace mobility and rethinking how the car parks under a workplace should operate and what role do they have to the as an amenity to the tenants or the workers in the building, the employees in the building. And how can we make that an awesome experience, a better business outcome and a better environmental outcome? So that's kind of, that's what we're doing now. It's a long 30 seconds, Toby. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I was, I'm, you know, curious where that bit fit into the picture because you also acquired an Australian company that was, they were doing something sort of similar with that more traditional car parking replacement. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that's still part of the mix, right? Like it's still yeah, yeah. at its core, it's real estate optimization. And um, that still holds true. And so we did acquire a business in Australia. It's gone really well for us. Our Australian business is growing really, really strongly. We're seeing hybrid work and the shift to electric vehicles is really two very strong macro trends that mean managing mobility is complex. You know, everyone goes to work on a Wednesday or a Friday for drinks. They don't go to work on a Monday and they won't go to work on Friday if there's no drinks. So it's like, how do you manage a static real estate asset in that dynamic kind of environment yeah i think it's uh it's it's really important and you know even more so in a in a covid you know type world where you know our habits have 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 changed in terms of where we work in a huge way brody how hard is it to sort of build the the technology how's that journey been i think so you know sometimes startup will sort of start in one direction and then you get to a point where you have to kind of scrap a lot of what you've done and and kind of start again and rebuild or or take big big turns you know how's that played out with uh, with parkable what are the what are the sort of challenges that you've encountered along the way well it's funny you should say that paul because we've actually done it perfectly from day day zero <laughs> and i've made no mistakes so um no, no it's, been, it's been uh, no it has been a lot like that as toby mentioned we started life as a two-sided marketplace and we built that uh, in more recent years, we've moved towards uh, 
car parking management solution for employee car parking and tenant parking and managing uh, those large portfolios and large um, real estate owners. Uh, and I think that comes with a lot of challenges, right? Like there's a lot of different AMPR cameras out there and software, lots of different security systems and building management systems. So trying to make that all work globally from New Zealand is not without its challenges. Um, and we're now not just a software company. We have to um, interact with the real world uh, in different uh, different regions globally. So yeah, it's uh, definitely keeping me busy, but I love the mix between traditional software development, IoT, hardware, you know, EV charging stations, all this kind of stuff. So um, it's, we're not short of challenges ahead of us, uh, particularly on our scale journey. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's it's good good to be challenged. Now, you recently won uh, won Meta as a as a customer uh, that was announced. Um, walk us through that a little bit of, of you know what sort of difference does it make to an organisation of that scale having access to Parkable's technology compared to how they were operating um, prior and how far through uh, things are you with them? Uh, so, um, yeah, Meta, obviously transformative for a business like ours for a handful of reasons. The, the commercial opportunity is amazing, like obviously goes without saying almost. Um, but for us, it, it just means at a global scale, they they help us bridge a credibility gap. Um, and so, you know, having having Meta as a customer and doing a global, you know, and the journey of a global deployment with them, every other large logo, every other large customer just sort of says, oh, well, if Meta have chosen you, you must, you must be reliable and you must be credible and you must be good. So, so that helps. In terms of the category that we're playing into and sort of the difference before and after for Meta um, and for, for our customers, many of them aren't aware that a solution like ours exists. And so they, um, we sort of joke, they, they manage their current setup with spreadsheets plus human pain and suffering. And, um, and so they create an awful large amount of human pain and suffering, which we try and take away with the, with the, the work that Brody and, his, and the team are, are doing. Yeah, that's kind of the before and after, right? We take get rid of the spreadsheets, we get rid of the human pain and suffering, um, we get rid of you know some of the real bad experiences that go on in these places and drive for efficiency and a better experience, a better environmental outcome. Yeah, I guess I guess if I just add, mm-hmm. um, one of the cool things about Meta is they have obviously very large campuses and complex environments, co- complex complex use cases. So from a product perspective, it was it's everything, you know. So it's it's all of our. Fe- uh, feature booking functionality, it's our tandem parking functionality, it's our visitor parking functionality, it's sort of AMPR, it's, and it all it all came together. And, you know, the roadmap is long and they've got a, a, a long wish list as well. So it's exciting to be solving these complex problems for one of the biggest technology companies in the world. And a funny thing, Paul, just on, on Meta, and it's, um, it, it's kind of a, a always keep your eyes open experience, but um, Meta reached out to us identifying that they wanted a solution in our space. Um, and the first time they reached out, we thought it was spam because we never thought that a company like Meta would reach out to a little old New Zealand business. So we ignored it promptly for a couple of weeks before we could, they they sort of hit us again and we're like, hey, maybe you guys want to reply to our email. Uh, anyway, so we laugh about that. That's pretty funny. Well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that one's worked, worked out in the right direction. And so in a situation like theirs, obviously, you know, there's probably so many aspects where the technology, you know, can apply and can help. What's probably the the biggest sort of standout, you know, at the moment in terms of, you know, where you're at on that journey? Like, is it a scenario where your technology is, is in play and is saving them in terms of whether it's investing in new car parks or, you know, what have you? Is there one the, particular the key, area you highlight? Yeah, the key benefit that they're getting is improved employee experience and employee engagement. So these big organizations, they really care about how their employees are feeling. They're in a talent war, that, you know, and and employees around the world, like workers around the world, they um, car parking is a big source of complaints and it's really emotional. You know, I came to work and someone was in my park. I didn't have a park at work today, but the boss's park is empty. Oh, I never get a car park. You know, I've got to drop the kids off at school and it's really that it's never equitable the way they're distributed through these orgs. And so they put in Parkable and immediately the employees are like, car parking's awesome. It's really fair. It's transparent. It solves all of the problems that you might reasonably expect to encounter in a day-to-day commute from a car park. Um, and so employee engagement and employee experience is kind of the key benefit. Yeah. And if I could just add, like, I guess one of the challenges a lot of organizations are facing is that return to work post-COVID, encouraging employees to come back. Um, and as Toby mentioned, managing the real estate, it's much more dynamic now and, and 
it's almost like you need a tool to manage that a level of you know dynamic interactions between lots of different people. Yeah, and and just the last part of the question is yeah we're we're globally deploying through Meta's offices so um so yeah we are live with them we are it's a, that's a long journey. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that's exciting. And in New Zealand, are you seeing are you seeing much uh, interest in at this sort of you know level as well for uh, yep. for larger organisations because. You know, I think of those that have, that do have a lot of uh, employees, and I mean these same challenges apply here as well. Yeah, right? totally. And it's not just the large ones. You know, we've got a lot of small and medium organisations as well. You know, they might have have ten team members and only two car parks, and um, and you know, so it, it's right down to that kind of scale. But yeah, absolutely. The the businesses that care about their employee experience and have car parks, we they're the ones that we help. Um, and and so here in New Zealand, we've got some great customers. You know. At the big end of town, from Datacom and BNZ and KPMG and and others, um, right down to, as I say, your, your sort of small and medium customers who we love the most because often they, you know, they get they get a direct emotional kind of benefit we love hearing from them. So, uh, car parks are a pretty expensive, uh, you know, commodity, right? So, uh, um, you know, I can I can see that. Yeah, that could be really relevant from from small to large organisations. So, uh, might have to have a quiet chat to you afterwards uh, around uh, how we can how we can try uh, try out your tech. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I'm hoping we'll get a chance to um, sit down in person. I'm apologies, I've come down with something um, today. So, uh, and the uh, the the sneezing has just started mid mid podcast hopefully i've managed to uh, mute most of uh, most of that but look it's really uh, really exciting to uh, to connect so thank you very much uh, toby litton and brody nelson for contributing today and great to uh, to hear uh, where things are going with uh, with parkable it sounds like a really really exciting journey ahead and uh, i mean i'm just thinking of the addressable market globally it's pretty uh, pretty insane so you know really really exciting um, anything else that uh, either of you wanted to uh, wanted to add in before we uh, before we finish up? Not from me. Just thanks for having us. It's been a great chat. Yeah, ditto. Thanks for having us, Paul. Good to chat. Absolute pleasure. Well, big thank you to uh, to our show partners: Two Degrees, Vodafone, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, Cyclone, and Aruba. Uh, certainly their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and of the broader uh, technology and innovation ecosystems here uh, in New Zealand makes a difference. So thanks to them and thanks everyone for uh, for listening in. If you're listening to the audio this week and uh, you've, you've missed out on the video, um, just a heads up if you if you follow us across whatever social media that you use, whether it's uh, LinkedIn where we will often pop up with live videos uh, probably most weeks, uh, if you follow me there or our NZ Tech podcast channels across uh, Twitter and uh, and YouTube, and of course if you're watching the video, then uh, you know make sure you're uh, you're subscribed via uh, podcast audio app, as that tends to be the the easiest way to listen in while you're commuting or exercising or what have you. Thanks again, everyone. We'll uh, see you again next week. All right, cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.